Hi, I'm James Gardner, host of Your History, Your Story, a podcast for everybody who loves stories about interesting people and events told by those who uncovered them from within their own family trees. This, we hope, will inspire you to discover and celebrate your history and your story. It was the mid-1950s in County Offaly, Ireland, and 17-year-old Margaret Peg Holland discovered she was carrying a child and she was already seven months along. Learning of their daughter's pregnancy, Peg's parents brought her to an unwed mother's home called Sean Ross Abbey in County Tipperary. It was there, after a difficult breech delivery, that Peg gave birth to a baby girl, and she called her Mary. Peg's parents arrived three days after Mary's birth to bring Peg and her baby home. Sadly, despite the love received from her family, Peg was the target of unrelenting judgment and cruel comments from the people in her community. In order to give Mary the best possible future, Peg made the heartbreaking decision to place her daughter up for adoption, and Mary was eventually adopted by a loving family from the United States, and she grew up in Illinois. Sometime after parting with her daughter, Peg decided that there was nothing left for her at home in Ireland as it only reminded her of recent heartache and tears. Therefore, Peg left Ireland and moved to the New York area and started working as a nanny. As the years passed, Peg married Mick O'Hagan and had four more children. Meanwhile, Mary grew up in a happy household, married, and had a family of her own. Upon the death of her adopted mother, Mary began to search for her birth mother. One day in September 2008, Peg received a phone call that would change her life and the lives of her family. In this episode of Your History, Your Story, we'll be speaking with Tom Gorman, who, along with his late mother-in-law, Peg O'Hagan, co-authored the book titled I Called Her Mary, which tells a story of love, adoption, and the reuniting of a mother and daughter. We will also be joined by Mary herself, who will tell how her journey to find her birth mother resulted in the joy of an extended and loving family. I'd now like to welcome Mary and Tom to our show. Welcome to you both. Thank you. Thank you for having us. I'm excited you're both joining me today. I recently finished reading your book, I Called Her Mary a memoir by Margaret M. O'Hagan, who is, Mary, that's your mom. Yes. And we're going to call her Peg from now on because that was what she was mostly known as. And Tom, Peg was your mother-in-law, right? Correct. And you're married to Peg's daughter? Who we'll call uh, Maggie because her name is Margaret too. So for (laughs) lack of confusion, we're going to refer to her as Maggie. (laughs) That's good. That's good. I feel like I know so many of these characters in the book that's just so cool. When I finished reading the book, I started reflecting on it. And um, some of the words that popped out of the book, uh, as far as feelings that I had, one was grief. I felt some grief in the story. There was loss. There was adventure. There was a lot of love. And there were a lot of surprises, too. (laughs) (laughs) So I really, uh, I got to say that uh, it it took took me on an adventure and I really enjoyed the book. 
but before we get started, I wanted to say that I know that Peg passed away recently, and I really want to say how sorry I am to hear that. I also wanted to say that I'm honored to be able to do this podcast with the two of you and to talk about a really terrific lady and the people who loved her. And we really appreciate the opportunity. So uh, she passed away just before Easter. And, uh, and Mary, you could jump in about this in a second. But so many people that read the book said how much they knew about Mary and the family who had never met her before. And it really is a tribute to a great lady, a great life. And I love the word you used, adventure. When you look back at the whole thing, you know, you can see where, you know, where it all happened and why it all happened. But when you're going through it, it you know, sometimes it's pretty uh, harrowing. Yes. Mary, did you want to add to that? I, I agree with Tom. Uh, when we were at the services and stuff, people would come up and go to my brothers and the top. I feel like I know you, you know, it was very heartwarming. So I, I agree with Tom totally. It's really neat that it's out there now. Yeah. And now talk about adventure. So this, this story starts off in Ireland in a pretty small village. Just for the listeners, Tom, uh, you'll do a much better job at summarizing the basic plot of this book, what's going on in this true story. Could you give us a, just a little bit of a general overview on the book? So, yes, it's just outside of Ross Cray, which is pretty much right in the middle of Ireland, is where Peg was born. And very poor family and trying to you know, make ends meet from everything, from just getting food and everything else. But again, there was a lot of love in that family. Fast forward, Peg gets pregnant, uh, and she didn't even know she was pregnant. She didn't even know about these things. And uh, when the doctor came over and examined her because she was having these pains, he's like, you're pregnant. That was the first surprise. You talk about surprises. That's a big surprise. And, and then, you know, how do you go through this? You know, and what's so great about the book is throughout life, we all face crossroads or forks in the roads or choices to be made. And any one of them could have changed your whole life. And the choices she made led us to Mary and being reunited 50 years later. So, uh, but going back to Ireland, you got to remember 1950s Ireland, small town, not too many educated people. And unfortunately, when she has the baby, uh, a lot of bigotry and a lot of name calling and a lot of ignorance. And then she took the very brave step and saying, I need a better life for my daughter. And she made these ultimate sacrifices and gave Mary up. Yes. And there's also stories of reunion that we're going to talk about a little later, which is great. I mean, you know, I got to say, before you even go any further, the family that I felt developing and surrounding each other in this book, I was like, you know, I've got a really great family, but I would love to sort of graft myself into that family as well. But it sounds like you had a lot of really good times. <laughs> you're, you're exactly right. It's, it's uh, when I got engaged to my wife, Maggie, and they were, you know, people were saying how lucky I was. And people were saying, like, people have these O'Hagans and the extended family as friends, best friends. And you're marrying into this family. And it's just been a true blessing from day one when I ever met them. And everything you see in the book is actually true. And then we just had the, the, the annual Memorial Day party, and it, it was wild and out of hand. And it has been for 50 years. So it's all true, and all these things carry on. And it's just been great love and great traditions. Yeah, definitely. So before we go that far ahead, let me just ask you this, Tom. So you wrote this book with Peg. So why did you, as her son-in-law, want to do this project? What was it about your mother-in-law that made you want to do this? And, and why you? 
I think it comes down to three things. One is too many of these stories just get lost. You know, and unfortunately, even in my own family, there's a lot of whispers over the years. Nobody wants to share or let anybody know. Don't let the kids know. And nobody knows what actually happens. And so many of these stories either die or only bits and pieces get revealed. Uh, I was a history major in college, and then I was a high school history teacher later on. And uh, it's always appealed to me. So history and, and these stories. And then when you actually have one that you actually can track from beginning to end is something that was worth capturing. So when we were, we got reunited with Mary and we found out about this whole story, more and more people were like, oh my God, you have to get this on Oprah. You have to get a book written. You have to make this a movie. And everybody says it, but everybody just looks around the room, you know, and, and that's it. And it just stops there. But I think it was just because of my inclination towards history and, and who I am that I just started jotting some things down. And I only originally started writing this as a family legacy, something to pass on to the, just the grandchildren. How, how can they know their grandmother? How could we all know? And then it just kept on developing. And I only made, let's say, about 100 copies for the family and some media friends. And then everybody's like, well, can I get a copy? Can I get a copy? And then that's what brought us actually here today. The story is just so heartwarming that everybody wants to uh, just read a piece of it. And then, you know, then we went and uh, published it. Definitely. Now, how difficult was it to get Peg to join you on this, uh, this venture of writing this book? Yeah, it, it was. Um, because, you know, the whole thing, you know, you talked about love earlier. Uh, nobody wants to hurt the other person. So Peg was still married to her husband at the time before he died, uh, Nick, and she never wanted to betray his love. Although she was talking about the story to us and some friends, she never wanted to write it down because she felt it would hurt Nick. And unfortunately, Nick passed. And it was that Christmas that I, I asked her one last time, I'm like, Mom, do you want me to write this book? And she finally said, yeah, OK. You know, and she finally saw that maybe I should get this all out there for the grandchildren and children and everything. Mm. Um, so that's how that came to pass. But I probably asked her probably about seven times over several years. And I knew this was probably the last time because I didn't want to keep annoying her. But also, you know, she didn't want to relive that pain and that grief. And she said that, and I put that, I think, in the forward. She didn't want to relive that. She goes, I spent a whole lifetime trying to forget about that. You know, I just want to live in the present. I don't want to go back to the past. And it was painful for her to, to reveal some of these things. But she was glad she did it at the end. And I know Mary had some similar things about uh, with her parents, about not wanting to try and find and seek her birth mother. Yeah, and I'm going to ask Mary about that in just a second. I just wanted to ask you, Tom, one more thing. What was the writing process like? What was the process that you used to collect all these stories? It's, it's challenging because I have a full-time job and three children, you know, uh, and I'm not a full-time writer. So I could only do it, you know, at night and on weekends. But I sat down and I just started just doing interviews. I interviewed Peg, and then I would interview Maggie, and then I interviewed different family members along the way. So Peggy would come over, I would sit in the living room, have the fire crackling and everything. And we, she would just talk and she was talk, talk, talk. And then I would follow up with her on all the different stories. And just to, you know, circle back a couple of months later, I would ask a lot of the same questions to see if her story was going to be consistent. Mm -hmm. And it's amazing how you have such vivid memories of your childhood and going through these different things. They kept popping up. The only foggy part, which we'll talk about later, was the trauma that she went through having the baby and then transitioning to America. Uh, and that was, you can understand why. So, so her stories were very consistent. And, and we went through that whole process. 
So I jotted it all down and then I would have to uh, get it transcribed and then I would listen to the transcriptions and then I would write. And originally I thought I was gonna tell the story of Peg one chapter and then Mary one chapter and Peg one chapter and juxtapose all the different stories. But no offense, Mary, but her, her childhood wasn't that exciting. It was pretty <laughs> ordinary to everybody else. So that didn't work. And I had to scrap that. And then I had to go back to figure out, you know, what's going to really appeal to a, a bigger audience, not anticipating an audience, you know, worldwide, but just anticipating that it would just be on, you know, the 20 of us immediate people. Hey, that's, that's really good information, uh, particularly having read the book now, to know that you went through that process with Peg. And the, the result is a, is a very, very good book. So the story is that uh, Mary, your mom, was with child in Ireland, 1950s. She had a baby, you, and she had to go away somewhere. Can you tell us a little bit about the place that your mom went to when she had to deliver you? Well, in that time, the girls were sent off to, uh, you know, convents or places for uh, unwed mothers. Mm -hmm. So she ended up at Ross Cray Abbey uh, with the sisters. And what I understand it to be, you know, she really was scared out of her mind, as most of the girls were, I'm sure. And she started going into labor. And of what she told me, she was alone. Uh, the nuns would stick their heads in and kind of yell at her, haven't you had that baby yet? And would leave. Then it ended up a, a really kind, one of the younger nuns uh, came in to try to help her because she was going into labor with me as a breech baby. Okay. Okay. So, yeah. now, Tom, so from what you know, or what Peg said, so once Peg had Mary, how did it move on from there? So now, you know, she was sent away, but Peg had a had a very loving home. They were very poor, but I was just, I was waiting to hear that the parents were going to be like outraged and, and mad and threw her out. It was really the opposite of that. Can you talk a little drop about that, Tom? So going back to that time, you know, you think about Mary and Peg, uh, what they were going through, they definitely were in the minority. Uh, if you think about all the families, uh, most babies and, and the mothers were sent off to these mother baby homes uh, you go back to the statistics and you look at these, uh, by 1974, there were 5,200 babies born at Sean Ross Abbey. 438 were sent to the United States and Mary is one of them. So those percentages are extremely low. And then to have a family that is going to take the daughter and the baby back was again, extremely low. Uh, unfortunately, these daughters were shunned by society. They were put off into these Magdalene laundries for work. Uh, and then they were just had to find ways to survive on their own. So going back to what I was talking about, about choices and how things happen, the percentages are extremely low. And that's what's so great about the story, that it's a, definitely a story about faith, hope, and love. And love is just extremely strong through this whole story uh, about the love for Mary and the ultimate sacrifice that Peg decided to do to give her daughter a better home because she was not getting it. And if you think about what was going on at that time, when, when they came back home to the community, Peg and, and Mary are being called slut, tramp, bastard. And it's just the ignorance of the time. It, it was just horrible for so many people to have to go through that. So uh, luckily, Mary was able to get a better life. And Peg left and had a better life by coming to America. Yes, definitely. So, so the story is, in effect, that Peg came home with you, Mary, to her parents' home. Mm -hmm. And her parents welcomed 
both of you into their home, but the village was very judgmental and giving your mom a really hard time. And again, this is the fifties, but it's not that long ago yet. It was so, so difficult for unwed mothers at that time. So Tom, you talked about the sacrifice of Peg giving up Mary to another family in the United States. How old were you, Mary, when you were sent to the United States? I was told 18 months. I, I saw pictures of me uh, coming into Midway and my, hold, my mom holding me. So uh, yeah, I was walking 18 months around that, yeah. Right, and Tom, how much time difference was there between when Mary was sent to the U.S. and when Peg left to also go to the U.S.? So this goes back to what you were saying earlier about me writing the book and how things change. So it took me about five years to write the book. So I'm about four years in, mostly relying on Peg's version of the story and Mary revealing things to me. And then, you know, we talk about we found the folder and the folder has all these documents that Mary had at her in uh, her her parents had, in, I guess, in the safe or something like that. And then when I started going through the folder, all of a sudden the documents the letters and things weren't matching up to the stories I was being told. Mm -hmm. So all of a sudden, that's when you have that aha moment. Wait, there's another version of the truth that's somewhere in there. Mm -hmm. And that's when I had to rewrite the chapters in the sequence because things weren't driving correctly. And I talked about the fog a little earlier, and that's what happens. There's a fog because of the trauma that Peg's going through. Oh. If you think about, you know, she's 17, 18 years old by herself, having a baby, leaving for America, getting on a plane for the first time, abandoning her family and, and all her friends and everything that she knows, coming to a country that she just doesn't know anybody. All this, the facts start getting a little distorted. On top of that, if you think about whenever you get together with your family, you always share stories. Mm. And then your brother, your sister says, no, it didn't happen that way. This is what happened. Oh, you forgot this. Yep. And everybody corrects each other. And then you have this collective memory. But what happened was, Peg didn't have this collective memory because she wasn't talking to anybody about the story. So she only remembered what she needed to do to survive. And then these documents that come out a little bit while later actually reveal what the actual truth is. And then Mary's version and Peg's version filled in all the other gaps. Do we know what the time difference was between the two events? So Mary was born uh, in April and Peg gave up the baby around December sometime that same year. So she had the baby for eight months at home. She gives up the baby and then she flies to America a couple of months later. Mary stays in the convent for another year before she gets adopted. But Peg doesn't know all of that happened. And Mary didn't know the previous part that she was at home. So that stuff kind of got revealed when you were, Mary was having these one-on-one uh, -on -one sessions at Shortway's uh, barn, uh, having a few drinks, and they were sh sharing things over time and getting acquainted with each other. But little details start coming out over time, and this stuff gets shared. That's why I'm, I love history like you, you, Tom, as well. And I'm, Mary, I'm sure you do as well. But I love it because, first of all, it's about stories, right? Mm -hmm. uh, but, but also the detective work that's involved in history. That's when it gets really fun, when it pertains to individual families and when it's your own family, particularly. Mary. Yes. So you are sent over at about a year and a half uh, mm -hmm. to the United States. And where do you end up? Tell us about the family, the Timmons. 
Yes. Um, I ended up coming into Midway outside of Chicago airport. What I had finally deemed for my mother was that my family sponsored an Irish immigrant who brought me on the plane over. I don't know what happened to him, but they got him into the States and, you know, however that goes. And they met me at the airport. I, I don't remember, but they said, my mom was so cute. She said, you were crying the whole way on the airplane. But when I took you in my arms, you stopped crying. So, but I'm sure I was crying for other reasons, but I thought that was so sweet because that meant a lot to her um, that I felt comforted in her arms. And so then they took me in the car home. And the only stories that I kind of had was my mom said every night I would sing something to put myself to sleep. It was in Gaelic and I still had kind of an accent. Obviously, I would say boys and gals. And then I would sing something. And I'm thinking, you know, uh, when I early on before everything came out, I'm thinking, oh, the nuns were having vespers or something and they were singing every night. And I heard it in the crib, that kind of stuff. And then mom told me it was Irish. Uh, it was Irish songs. They would teach all the kids Irish rebel songs, you know, and I, I'm thinking that's what it was. So um, that's kind of to comfort me because I, I can't even imagine what I was thinking. You know, all of a sudden I'm in this home with strangers because I really being that old, I knew my mom and my grandparents in Ireland. You know, I recognized them at that point, but that must have been very scary for me, you know, to do that. But they were wonderful. They were older parents, but um, they were great. They actually they almost didn't get uh, to adopt me. But mom wrote a letter or said, I want the Timmons to have her because they were right on the cusp of they thought being they're probably in their mid 40s. I don't know to actually get a baby and adopt it and be able to take care of it. And I have a brother, Harry. And at that point, he was 13 years old. So he was in the back of the car. I don't know how crazy he was about this, but he was he was 13. And um, so he, he, I've been getting really close with him lately now. We, we talk about a lot of stuff and, and he said, yeah, it was, it was, it was different. He goes, but I, I was happy you were here and we were happy to have you as a family. So it was nice. That's great. I, I noticed the way you're saying mom, when you referred to Peg and you're saying mom, when you're talking, uh, believe, mom. I know, I know. I and I, I hate, I hate saying like the adopted mom. I didn't really want to say my adopted mother, Dorothy, you know, as she was my mom, you know, in all respects. And she raised me and, and so did my father. And so I never really say it that way. And it's so strange for me, this family, they say, this is my sister, Mary. They have never, ever, ever said half sister. And it, 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 it wasn't something like they said half sister. I said, oh, you don't think I'm a full, you know, that kind of thing. I am technically a half sister, but they've never made me feel that way. So, so that's why I was very comfortable calling her mom too. Then they all say mom, mom, she's mom, mom. So um, that's what my kids called her. But yeah, my mom in, in Illinois, she, she was my mom. So I love that. So Mary, at what age were you when you first found out or heard at least that you were adopted? I was around eight years old. I lived on what they used to call in the old days, a dead end. Now it's no outlet, <laughs> but we like, <laughs> we like dead end a lot. So it was a wonderful uh, uh, raising. I, it was awesome. We would play sports in the streets. Well, I was out with the kids. Now I knew they had thrown a shower later on in life. They threw a shower for my mom when I came over. So all the neighbors knew, but they must've been talking at night. I don't, I don't know how, but another kid must've gotten mad at me or something. And he said, well, you're not really their baby. You're not really their kid. I said, what do you mean? I'm not their kid. 
He goes, you were adopted. And I was like, what? And I went home crying, you know, and then my mom stormed across the street. Uh, I don't know what she did over there, but, um, you know, they were probably talking at night. I don't think it was supposed to be anything cruel on the parents' parts, but um, kids do that. You know, kids just do it. So um, then I started asking questions. My mom was very tentative. My dad really didn't talk a lot about it either. Um, he always thought, he said, we are related. We're related. I, I have relatives from Ireland. I go, okay, dad, <laughs> you know, so that kind of thing. But um, she was very tentative to talk about it. I think she was scared. And I talked about it with her when I, we were watching a movie when I was about maybe 15 and she, she wouldn't talk about it because it was a story about a girl wanting to go find her birth mom. I go, mom, would you ever mind it? And she goes, oh, I, I don't want to talk about that. I go, okay, all right, fine. You're my mom. That's fine. I really didn't like really want to find my birth mom type thing at that point. But then, um, you know, then I was going to get married and they said, and then they start talking about health and they start talking about this. And, and I'm going, I, I haven't even seen my birth certificate, you know? So I had to show them my naturalization papers. So I had to ask my dad for those. So I said, dad, I need my, I need the naturalization papers for, to get married for proof. And he brought it out. And then he, that's the first time I ever saw my certificate of naturalization. And I recognized the picture was my kindergarten picture. That was the first time. So from reading the book, it didn't sound like you were like overly upset, like uh, that, I, that you were adopted, as you said. Oh, this, no. Yeah. Is your mom. I, I've got my mom. I'm okay. I'm oh, okay. yeah. Oh, yeah. And when I found out I was born in Ireland, then I used that baby. I, I, I would I would tell everyone they go, who's born here? Who's born there? And then I just raise my hand, you know, and I go, I was born in Ireland. <laughs> and they go, Ooh, you know, that's a big deal. I didn't know what I was talking about, but I knew it was another country, you know, so. That's good, though, but it didn't it wasn't like a wound to you. So that that was no. Good. And my mother was English, so we always would banter back and forth. You know, she'd wear orange. I'd wear green and she would laugh. Yeah, she was great. It was good. Yeah. I like that. My grandfather's Irish and my grandmother's English. Oh, uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It, yep. it was interesting. So, Tom, let's talk about Peg a bit. So she's over in the United States and she comes over as a nanny and she goes to work for a family. And it sounds like she didn't she wasn't paid anything. She she was working because they paid her travel over and she was also she was cooking, she was cleaning, she was taking care of children. A really tough time for a very young woman to come over by herself and leaving this wonderful family that she had. It must that must have been a very moving time for her. Was that true? Absolutely. You know, you think about it as kids go on to college and they leave home for the first time and how tough that is. You know, there was no cell phones or anything else. You had to write letters and then wait for the return letter to come back. She wasn't calling home. So she was scared and lonely, but she knew this is she had to do this. And she gets into this family. They were they were kind to her overall, but they I, I called her an indentured servant. Mm -hmm. So she had to basically work off her plain fare and room and board to a certain degree. So she wasn't getting any money. And finally, we don't know exactly when, but just say after about a year or so, they started giving her a couple of dollars a week that allowed her to go out and just, you know, go out with some friends or something like that and have, you know, a soda or something like that. She didn't drink at the time and just try to have a little bit of a semblance of a, a life. But yeah, it was difficult. But she was tough. So there's a challenge that she has within the house that she works that she handles pretty much with a physical threat that she makes, which is kind of cool because, 
you know, she was standing up for herself and she wasn't going to put up with any nonsense. Absolutely. We called it that chapter, the stand. And you think about, again, you're at the crossroads in life. She's already had a baby. She's already made the decision to leave her family, come to America. And unfortunately, the husband tries to take advantage of her when she's doing the laundry one time. And she, in what a split second, has to make a decision. Am I going to be a victim or am I going to stand up? And she decided to, you know, just clench her fists, turn to the guy and just stand up, knowing that she could be fired. She could be accused of something and, and lose everything. But she just something inside her just said, no, I, I'm not going to do it. And she stood up to him, uh, rebuffed his advances. And luckily it, it worked out and she was able to still work there and all that. But she knew eventually she's going to have to get out of there. And you talk about the trauma that you go through. She never felt comfortable. She always had a locked bedroom door every single night. She never knew if something else was going to happen again. Well, that's tough. That is tough. And, and again, she's thinking about her family at home and, and also thinking about the decision she made about Mary, about, you know, where is Mary? I know that was weighing on her heart the whole time. But then we, we turn to love, part of the book that I talked about. She meets a wonderful guy. And I got to love this guy. I never met him. And his name was Mick. You're correct. Mick is a, is a character, exactly what you would think. Uh, you know, construction worker, uh, you know, building buildings in New York. He was an engineer, you know, architect. And so he did all that stuff. He came from the streets and he didn't mind getting in a scuffle or two. And he fell in love. He fell in love with her. And they met because Peg started going out with the, the people that she was working for, his daughter. They started going out to a couple of bars and that woman's boyfriend happened to be best friends with Mick. So the four of them would meet or a couple of other people would meet. And then that turned into, you know, excursions at Rockaway Beach, going to different uh, bars and clubs and, and then that relationship building and building. But Peg never let it go too far because of this secret, the secret of Mary. And is now Mick going to rebuff her? Is, is Mick going to reject her? And so that's always weighing on her mind all this time. Yeah. And uh, she sends a letter home, right, to get some advice from her very loving mother. And she gets some really wise advice. Exactly. I mean, again, anything could have happened there. Do you tell Mick the truth or do you tell him a lie? So she writes to her mother and says, Mom, what do I do? This guy keeps asking to marry me and all that kind of stuff. And her mother writes back. So how long that takes, you know, to correspond. <laughs> and and, the, and her mother says, don't start your life out with a lie, you know, and that's just such great advice. But again, just because that is the right advice at the time doesn't mean that's not scary. You don't know how Mick is going to respond. And Mick is really a champion in this book, too, because he says, I love you anyway. Let's move on together and let's treat Mary as his guardian angel. Oh, and so they can start a life together. But that could have gone the other way and we wouldn't be talking here today. So, so many different decisions that were made along the way that to make this beautiful story happen. Oh, I really like that. Now, you know, there's so much about their life together, Mick and Peg and four children come out of that marriage. They do get married. One of those children is your wife. And uh, I, there's a lot of stories about the family and the stuff that they did during holidays and Christmas Eve parties in the basement. Oh, by the way, they moved from New York to New Jersey. So that's kind of cool. Uh, not too far from where I live now. They didn't have a lot of money, but there was a lot of togetherness and things like that. But I'm going to go back out now to you, Mary. 
you know you're adopted. You've asked your mother about it. She's a little quiet about it. You don't want to hurt her feelings. But eventually, you start to look for your birth mom. Could you take us through that decision process to do that? My mom died in, in 1996, I believe. Uh, yeah. And um, about 10 years later, my brother, after she had died, my brother came up to me and he said, I found this thing in uh, mom and dad's, uh, you know, my mom's stuff. And I, I don't know if you'd want it. And I said, well, what is it? And it was this brown, old brown eight by 10 envelope. And it had all my dad's scratchings and dates and stuff on the envelope. And I, I said, okay, I'll look at it. I, you know, I don't know. He goes, I didn't know if you wanted it or not. He hadn't looked at it. So um, I opened it up and oh my gosh, treasure trove. Uh, it was my passport from Ireland. So I opened that up and there's my face and it says, Mary Holland. Yeah, I go, who's that? Oh my God, that's me. You know, that kind of thing. And um, I looked at that and then uh, my baptismal was in there, court papers for my adoption, really a ton of stuff. My birth certificate was not there, but I did get that, you know, later, later after we gotten together with the family. So I did get that. And the father is not named on the, on the birth certificate, which is fine. We'd ask her about it. And she, you know, we were worried that, you know, how it all happened. And she said it was fine. He was a good man, that kind of stuff. So we didn't press that. Mm -hmm. And so then I said, you know what, my husband, who's wonderful, he said, you know, we've always wanted to go to Ireland. It was rounding up on our two kids. We're not going to be going on vacations with us much anymore. So this would be our kind of last one together with the four of us. So my husband arranged everything. I had gone on some site and, uh, you know, I did have someone try to say that they were the daughter of my mother and that was that passed really quickly. I figured that wasn't right. And then all of a sudden, you know, I, we started going uh, into some papers and Cork, we found out it was in Cork, not Ross Cray at the orphanage. So we based our whole trip on stopping at Cork first. We got a hold of this uh, sister, Mary. We're inundated with Mary's too. But what's so funny is uh, I was told by other people or other adoptees that um, there was a sister Sarton there and she was blocking all the adoptees that would come and ask for information. So I was talking to this little sister, Mary, and she was wonderful. I put her in charge of finding everything too. She really started the ball going. And she said, well, sister Sarton is on sabbatical this week. She's not here. Ooh. So I was like, come on, are you kidding? You know? So my two kids and my husband and I went into uh, Cork. We found this sister, Mary. We went in, they brought papers up. They showed us different things about my nutrition and what happened when I was born. She was showing me normal papers. I think they would normally show you. And then all of a sudden one she took her secretary like off to the side. And I saw her take a paper out of her pocket and show it to sister. And then sister slid it back in her pocket. And I didn't ask, you know, I didn't want to ruin anything or uh, get some bad karma going. <laughs> so I'm guessing after I had spoken to Peg, I'm guessing that might have been a note saying that I was discharged with mom, with her parents. I don't know. I don't know why she wouldn't show, have shown it to me with everything else she showed me. So I just put that to the side. So Sister Mary said, do you want to find her? And I said, I'd love to. Wouldn't it be cool if I'm in Ireland and I find her here in Ireland? And she said, well, I'll start looking. So then we went on with our vacation and um, she called me the last day and she said, no luck, but I'll keep being in touch. And this would have been July of um, 2008. So October, November, I get a call from her in the morning and she says, are you sitting down? You know, I go, who is it? Sister 
Dr. Mary? You know, and she said, I think I found your mom. And I go, what? And then she said, yeah, I just talked to her. And she said, it'd be okay if I gave you her number. Oh. And I, I, I go running upstairs. I'm jumping on Tom. I'm screaming. I said, I think we got it, honey. And I had to go to work. Oh, so I was like, oh my oh. God. So I went, I went to work. I'm yelling in the halls. My poor eighth grade that came in that day. Oh my gosh. You guys, guess what happened? They're all like, what? You know? So I got a hold of mom. I think nine o'clock my time I called. And Mick answered the phone, as you read in the book, oh. and he was so hilarious. But sister never told me his last name. So I said, sir, um, I, think I'm, I think I'm your wife's daughter, Mary. And he goes screaming, Peg, she's on the phone. And then she gets on. But then he starts his 20 questions. That's what Tom had put in the book. It was unbelievable. Are you married? Do you have a college education? Do you have kids? Are you Cubs or Sox? You know, that kind of thing. So... It was just wonderful. And then finally Peg was listening and she goes, Mick, for the love of God, I want to talk to her. He goes, oh, sorry, <laughs> sorry. So he got off and then we started talking. And I think she was afraid of why I called as were all the Jersey brothers and sisters and Tom. They were all kind of, you know, what's she up to? And I just told her I'm okay because I can't even imagine what she's been going through. I said, I'm fine, mom. I live in Illinois. You have two grandchildren. I went to college. I'm a teacher. My husband's name is Tom. <laughs> so I'm thinking of Tom and Maggie. And it was just wonderful. I told her, I, I just want to thank you. You made the right choice. Uh, I'm happy. My life has been wonderful. And it's because of you. So we were crying. And um, then I said, I'd really like to meet you. Would you want to meet me? And that was, you know, she goes, oh, yes, I would. I would. And then Tom's Maggie had a 40th birthday party that January. And that's when I met everybody. I went to Jersey and met them all. So rest is history, as they say. Yes. And when I read about that, it was the 40th birthday party. Now, Tom, that was at a bowling alley, wasn't it? Yeah. So <laughs> we, <laughs> it was just, you know, we go to a lot of parties, you know, we were just trying to think about how to make it more social and get people engaged. Everybody had kids and everything. So we just figured, why are bowling parties only for kids? Let's do it for the adults. So we must have had you know, probably close to 100 people there. We took an X amount of lanes, pizza, beer, soda, everything was flowing. And we brought in the big surprise, which was Mary. And Mary got <laughs> to meet everybody. So it was a perfect. Uh, it was evening. perfect. It was perfect. Yeah, it wasn't like one on one. It was just great. And these guys, the best story, which I have to tell you, I think we, it, we said, what, I got everyone's attention in the middle of the night. And I said, I know you're all wondering why I'm here. And I just want to tell you, I need a kidney. <laughs> yeah. you, you should have seen all of them staring at me i go that was probably not good to say and then i said kidding i'm kidding i'm kidding i'm kidding so um yeah it was really great it was the perfect time what they did was perfect because it wasn't real you know i came in and i met people gradually and it was great it was good yeah tom i in the book it kind of indicates that you know your brothers-in-law and maybe your wife as well i'm not sure but they they were kind of a little just just testing the waters here. Let's see what's going on. You know, does she really need a kidney? <laughs> I mean, you know, they were just making sure their mom was going to be protected. Did you sense that Absolutely. with the family? So that's exactly what happened. Besides Mary's crass joke, which broke the ice that one that time. But, but everybody was walking a little bit on eggshells. And there was a family gathering of just the siblings uh, saying, what are we going to do with this information of this Mary who's reached out to us? 
when they were talking about Mary and they were deciding, you know, what they were going to do, that's when Mick had another defining moment. And he basically said, we're going to embrace her. We're going to love her. And, and that's it. End of conversation. And the whole thing did end there. And everything just turned out great from the moment we met her at the airport and then all the gatherings afterwards. But again, that's a, a second defining moment that Mick chose to definitively make a decision. And, and this is how we're going to move forward. Yeah. And I, I've got to ask Mary, when you actually hugged your mom and you met each other for the first time, what was it like? What was it like? It was unbelievable. You know, I came out of the uh, tunnel and uh, I, I turned and she was right there. And I thought, oh, my gosh, you know, what what are you thinking? Because I had never met her and this was all new to me. And and I just ran over and I, I just grabbed her and we held each other. And all of a sudden I was encompassed by all my brothers and Maggie. And we we're all in this big huddle. And Mick, Mick is standing there with flowers. But um, we cried. I just cried. I couldn't believe it. When I saw her, I realized that we kind of look alike. I, I saw the, you know, the thing and I go, oh, my God, that's my mother. You know, so it was wonderful. It was just all so wonderful. Really was. Now, the gift was that. You had, well, you had, you had the sadness of losing your mom. Yes. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then gaining your mom. You talk about that in the book a little bit. What was that like? It, it was unbelievable. Cause you know, I did, the, it was respectful in some ways when my mother had passed, but I, I just needed to know that's with them being older parents. I, I lost them earlier. I was still you know young, but the thing is, is I feel that they were involved in this big yeah. time that now I have this family for the rest of my life to be with and to be there for my ups and my downs and someone to, you know, listen to when I need to talk to somebody. Um, so I believe they sent these guys to me in some way, some shape or form. And uh, I mean, it's just, it's just so unbelievable that it has to be, you know, heaven sent from my mom and dad. So someone's there to take care of me in the rest of my life. Yeah. And you have this giant family extended. Oh, and oh. uh, wow, what it sounds like a lot, what a lot of fun uh, this family had. You know, if you're gonna have any more parties out there in, uh, oh, I think we're <laughs> gonna New have Jersey. a Jersey. Can you? <laughs> we got two weddings coming up again, so yeah, <laughs> I'll be there again. Maybe I'll crash it. You may see a strange bald guy standing in the corner drinking they'll a Coors Light. <laughs> they'll bring you a beer. They won't care. They'll bring you a beer. I'm telling you right now. <laughs> uh, I did notice, you know, in the book, it's clear that you got together quite a bit with Peg over the years. That I you, did. You, she came out there a couple of times. She met your family, your kids, uh, yes. your husband. Yes. That must have been neat getting her. What did they think? Very cool. We, they, oh, oh my goodness. I called my children and I said, you guys, and I told them and they go, what do you mean, mom? I go, well, I found my birth mom and you have 11 new cousins and you have three new uncles, one aunt and some other uncles that are attached by marriage. And they went crazy. They go, yeah, all that. It, no hesitation at all. They were so psyched. Tom, my husband, Tommy goes, I've got some more brothers because he only has a sister. Mm -hmm. So brothers and sisters, and they just embraced him with love. He was very, very taken back at first. He's never been loved like that before. So it was wonderful. Yeah. You were clear, Mary, about how you just felt that, uh, that Peg did the best thing for you by oh. giving you up, given the situation, the circumstances that she was faced with and that, and that you would have been faced with back in Ireland. Right. But she still seemed to harbor this feeling that, oh, that, 
did she do the right thing? Tom, could you talk to that a little bit? Yeah, unfortunately, guilt is just, you know, throughout the whole book and throughout her whole life. And she just felt that. And, you know, every day, Mick and Peg prayed to Mary. Uh, I, I called, they called her her guardian angel, as I referred to her earlier. And they always said prayers to her. And they were always, you know, just hoping that God was taking care of her. But this guilt was always weighing on Peg. And in fact, nobody in the family knew about this hidden secret. It gets revealed later on through different occurrences. But um, it's not until she goes to, with my daughter to her first communion. And my, my daughter has to do her confession. And she comes out and says, Mom, Mom, you should go in there. You should go in there. You know, he wants to talk to you. God wants to talk to you. And Peg reluctantly goes and confesses. And again, another uh, defining moment is that priest could have said a lot of different things. However, this priest uh, handled it correctly and said, you have nothing to be shamed about. You know, this is just guilt, Irish Catholic guilt that shouldn't have been there. You did the right thing. You had the baby. You know, you've suffered enough for 50 years carrying this rock on your shoulder. And she literally, after she leaves that confessional, just feels the weight of the world literally off her shoulders. And everybody saw the change in her face, uh, what was going on. So it was transformational for her. And it was great that she was able to get some peace at that time. Oh, yeah. She's got her daughter, Mary, telling her, Mom, you did the best thing for me. I've had a beautiful life. I have wonderful parents. Uh, you know, I don't hold any grudges against you. I love you. And then to have the, the church, who she was probably terrified mm -hmm. of, uh, mm -hmm. sitting down with her in confession mm -hmm. saying, you've suffered enough here. You're, you're okay. Don't don't hold, harbor this guilt. It's not good. So you, you can imagine she's walking on air almost. I would just like to follow up on that. So, you know, she was, Peg was always a very faithful person and, and religion was very, and faith was very big in the O'Hagan family when they were growing up. So she had this traumatic, horrible experience with the nuns at that abbey, but it never stopped her faith. It never prevented her from going to church. She just had never gone to confession for those 50 years. But she always went to church and she went to church with us. She went to church with her grandchildren and she went to, with Mary after they got reunited. So her faith and her love for God never wavered at all. So it's interesting. She could have walked away from her faith and walked away from the church, but she didn't. She always found this reassurance and this strength from God all throughout her life. Uh, and that was another choice that she made that, um, that worked in her favor. Yeah, that struck me as well, because I was almost waiting to hear that she walked away from the church because of the experiences. I remember at one point, right after she had had Mary, that uh, someone stood at the door and wouldn't let her in and said, you know, called her names and don't let that thing in here. I just, it was awful. And the fact that she went through that and she had this terrible guilt that she still was faithful. She still, you know, believed in God. She didn't hold God responsible for what some people in the church were doing and saying, and that's a, that's a real tribute to her faith. And that really struck me, definitely. There's a uh, part of the book that actually made me very emotional was Peg mentioned, Tom, that the Christmas Eve basement parties, that they just sounded great. I can just picture it down there. I, just, I don't know. I just this, this house in New Jersey and the, the people celebrating and having fun and telling jokes and and all that. But she said that there was always some part of her 
in the earlier years, during those happy times that was dragging on her heart, and that was her thinking about Mary. You know, where was she? Was she okay? And then when Mary found her and they were together, she started to lose Mick. She started to lose him. And he, he hung on for a very long time, but she felt that sadness sort of replaced the sadness that she, she had with missing Mary and, and not knowing how she was. Can you talk to that for a second? You're exactly right. So unfortunately, you know, I think life is just filled with these paradoxes. You know, you have the opposite ends of these emotions. So you find Mary and then you're starting to lose Mick. And holidays are exciting, fun time, great time to be reunited, but they give you a time to be nostalgic. So what are you going to think about? You're going to think about the family you left, your brothers who aren't with you anymore. And of course, Mary, who he gave up. And one of the things, and, you know, give or take a couple you know, days or even a little bit of a month or two, uh, a lot of the, the theme that came through this was always around this Christmas time. You know, she gave Mary up around Christmas. Christmas was always a big theme in the O'Hagan household. Mick's proposing to her around Christmas, all these different things. So you do have this flood of emotions that are going through her at all these types of times. And every time you're joyous, you're always, always also thinking about, you know, who's not with you and, and Mary's not with us. And, uh, you know, one of the last Christmases we were together, uh, Mick, in his feeble state, he came down and got on his knee and proposed to her again. Oh, and that was a beautiful moment. Yeah. You know, and then we lost him a few weeks. Uh, well, actually, it was probably a two well, a week later. And uh, it was just a beautiful moment that their undying love for each other. So, um, you know, it, it's just life. And I think that's what's so beautiful about the book. It's very real. And all of us can relate to it in one way or another about whether it be the parties, the good times, but also the, the extreme sad times, death, sicknesses, everything else that we all go through. Absolutely right. There's a, at the very end of the book, Peg makes a statement that uh, really struck me. And I'd, I'd like to ask you both to comment on it. Peg said, Mary was the rock thrown into the water that caused many ripples across the pond. Mary, could you speak to that and what you think that meant? I couldn't believe that quote. It was unbelievable because my brother Michael always says the ripples, Mary, the ripples, you know, to me. And um, yeah, I think I think it was a, a sign of hope. I mean, you know, I don't want to say that about myself, just the hope for all of us that I showed up before we lost Mick. I got to know him, which was just a blessing. And then the ripples where everyone that connected with me again and their family had closure with their sadness her mother was experiencing and not knowing. Michael said she was always different sometimes at certain times, my birthday time and, and Christmas type thing. So I just thought that was just a perfect, perfect way of saying it. And I was very touched by that. Definitely. Tom, did you want to comment on that? Yeah, we're all faced with events throughout our life and we all have to make choices. You know, what do you do with these events when you get confronted with them, good or bad? So it's your response to those events equals the outcome. So these outcomes, these ripples are all a direct reflection upon what happened. So when Mary is born, that sets off the first ripple and then it just keeps going from there. But with all those other choices and things we've talked about. So, you know, again, this just relates to every single one of us in this whole world. How do we respond to events that hit us? And then what are going to be the outcomes and the ripples that occur from that? Definitely. Mary, think of your life uh, had you not met Peg. 
maybe you didn't take that trip to Ireland or, right. you, you know, you, you had a, you had wonderful parents, you had memories of them, you were established, you had your own family. How different would you have been if you hadn't met Peg? Totally different. I mean, I, I would have been fine. I would have been fine. I, you know, I was blessed with a beautiful family, my husband, but I always say that I go, what are the chances? What ifs? What are the chances that maybe we couldn't have afforded that? And I, or maybe my husband would have thought about it differently. We can't go, you know, over to Ireland and, uh, you know, which it, it would have been totally different. I would have been happy. I would have been fine, but the enrichment and, and the difference that they have all made in my life, especially Peg is immeasurable. I, I know it would have been so different. Okay. But not <laughs> fabulous like it is now. And that, it's a closure for me too, you know, to have been able to have that time with her and to say, I met her and I understand. And then I get all these guys and gals. I just, it, it's, it's just awesome. Awesome. Very different. And not to mention that you and Peg spent a lot of time talking. She told you stories about her parents and the family members there. So you, you got along with meeting your mom, you got a history of your family. So you had, that. I did now have it now that must feel great. Doesn't it? It's, it's awesome. It's awesome. She would tell me about how her brother Jim thought that I was just another baby that mom had. She didn't know that, you know, just all that stuff with all the kids in the family, but yeah, it, it's, it's, I got a history from her, from the person that lived it. You know, and then Tom, I can never speak enough to what Tom has done for our family for this. He's very modest. Um, but what he's done, given this legacy of a book and stuck with it, because I'll tell you, him and I have been talking lately. I've been with the family almost 13 years. So I said, how did you even stay focused to get this book done? And he just didn't go to a lot of parties. I'm telling you, I watched him stay home and he put his head to this thing while he's doing all his other stuff. I'm so proud of him. And I thank him every day that he brought this legacy for our family and our kids and our grandkids. No, I, I appreciate that, Mary. You know, you think about that and you said it right. It was a legacy for the family. So we already have grandchildren and great grandchildren that are coming into the family that they're going to be able to read about this. And we can say, no, we know everybody in, in the book. But one of the first responses after the book was released and people were reading it, I, I got a, a random email from somebody and they said, there's more of us than you know. And that hit me so hard. And this woman was from a local town here, but she has relatives in uh, the Chicago area that all went through similar experiences. So uh, even in my own family, uh, we have something that's similar and uh, we have other friends that have had similar experiences, but they all ended differently. Mm -hmm. Some ended at a dead end, some ended with a scam, some ended with they met and then all of a sudden nothing happened. But this one, this is what everybody's striving for. This is the penultimate story of, you know, bringing it all together and the happy ending that I think everybody's striving for when they're trying to find their roots and their heritage. And I think that's what makes it just so beautiful, you know? Oh, absolutely. And uh, Mary, there's a lot of people now who are going on Ancestry or some of these other genealogy websites and they're doing DNA testing. And there's people finding out stuff about their family, who they're related to and things like that. So where ad adoptions were very closed and quiet and guarded, people are finding out that they're related to people. If someone out there is, they know they're adopted and they're, they're maybe 
thinking about trying to contact a parent or a brother and sister, what kind of advice would you give to them? Wow. That's a very good question because as Tom said, we know of so many people where it didn't work. I think I would tell them how much passion do you have for this? It's just, is there a reason behind it? Are you going to establish a relationship if you do find them? Are you prepared to be rejected? I, I was prepared because, I, you know, I got Mick first. <laughs> so I was like, I got her husband first. And, um, and I had been talking to all of them before I met them in person, but I would tell them to be careful and, and to not make that the measure of their life. I was so lucky. This is such a rare, rare thing, the way this worked. And um, I think, you know, the percentage, I can't even imagine the percentages of, that would work out the way mine did. But I would tell them to give it a try if they really, really, really think they need to know. I, I, but be prepared for rejection, for, uh, no, I haven't told anybody in my family about you. I, I just can't do it. And, and to not make that measure who they are as a person. So very good advice. Very good advice, Mary. Tom, how did writing this book and spending all that time with your mother-in-law, Peg, how did that impact your life, who you are today? You know, it was great talking to her. Some of the brothers and my wife, you know, had difficulty because you have to get into some of the raw emotions and they're very protective. At one time, you know, my wife chastised me a little bit, you know, because, you know, it is tough and they all want to be protective of their mother. Uh, but for her to share these great stories with us was just amazing. And because I knew what the end result was going to be, that generations are now going to be able to read it. And hopefully, you know, other people are going to be affected by it. My wife said something uh, beautiful. You know, so as I was getting to know Peg, uh, I went back and I circled back with all the stories. I got everything just in time. You talk about timing and all that. Unfortunately, right after I finished capturing that and I started writing the book and all that, Peg started uh, suffering from dementia. And even with dementia, when I was reading her the chapters, she would always go, nope, that happened, that happened. She would crack up. She, nope. So her memory still was there for those early recollection years. So when I got it before the dementia, and even when she had dementia, she was still enjoying some of the stories, uh, which is beautiful. Again, saying the consistency. So it was real and it was still the truth uh, or the truth as she knew it. So that's beautiful. But my wife, again, said at the very end, as Peg was starting to lose her voice and, you know, some of her faculties, my wife said something like, as Peg is losing her voice, her words will live on forever. And that was just so poignant, so beautiful that Peg's life and, and what people can gather from this story can live on and hopefully be a tribute as well as an example for others. Well, it is a very inspiring book from the standpoint of the importance of family, the importance of telling stories, because stories connect us, our histories connect us. And I, I just love it. I mean, it, it's a detective story. It's a, uh, it's a love story. There's so many components that make it a really good read. The book is I Called Her Mary, a memoir by Margaret M. O'Hagan, that's our peg, and Thomas A. Gorman. That's you, <laughs> Tom. And uh, how can people get a hold of a copy of this book? Right now it's on Amazon. So they could just jump on Amazon. They could get it as an ebook or as a paperback book and they could just order right there. We also have a website that this podcast will be on and we have other information on there and some more pictures on there. So if people are interested, it's just ICalledHerMary.com. 
they could go through there and then they could go to the Amazon website and get that. So we're, we're just really pleased to be able to share this story. It's something that we feel that uh, is a story that had to be told. And we just wish everybody, you know, that they could find faith, hope, and love along their journey. Thank you. And uh, I'm going to close by reading some of Peg's final words in the memoir, which really struck me. And I think it sums it all up. I love my Mickey, family, and Mary. When you think about it, it was a wonderful life. And I love that. And I thank both of you. <laughs> I know. I thank both of you for being on this podcast and sharing this incredible story. And Tom, I'm going to ask you one last question. What are you working on next? <laughs> <laughs> I, I've got lots of ideas. <laughs> We're really just trying to just promote the book the best we can and, and get it out there. But this one was just so good to be able to share. It wrote itself in so many ways. And uh, we're just so happy to share this with everybody. And I want to thank you for inviting Absolutely. us on. You, you've done such a wonderful job with all the other stories that I've listened to on your podcast. And like you said, history is all about stories. And if we could capture more and more stories, we have this collective consciousness that we can just, you know, be human and, and connect with these stories. Absolutely. Oh, terrific. Thank you for that. Thank you. And, uh, I hope you both have a great evening. Thank you. Bye. Well. Bye, Tom. Love you, Bye. Tom. Thank you. Be well. Bye-bye, you too. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Your History, Your Story. You can connect with us on Facebook and YouTube at Your History, Your Story, or on Instagram and Twitter at YHYS Podcast. We'd love to hear from you if you have any questions, comments, or a story to tell. Be well, and God bless.